Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, Konnichiwa, Nikki Young here, back with my new true crime podcast, Serial Napper. I know it's been an incredibly difficult few days in the world. Of course, as you probably guessed, I'm talking about the murder of George Floyd at the hands of a police officer. The world watched as this man's life was stifled and he was begging for air. My heart has felt incredibly heavy as I watch the protests happening across the U.S. All I can say is, you can always count on me as an ally for equality and justice, and I pray that both of those are found soon. Now it's on to tonight's case, and I want to take a second to thank Danielle for suggesting this story. I remember hearing about it briefly when I was in my early 20s. I was living in Ottawa at the time, so it was in the newspapers, but I didn't know a whole lot about it. It's actually even more horrific than I originally remember. 
we're talking about a case that rocked the small community of Bridgewater, Nova Scotia, Canada. With a population of around 8,500, it's a quiet place to live, not a whole lot of crime, so a really nice, safe place to raise a family. It's about an hour's drive from Halifax, the capital of Nova Scotia, and honestly, it's a great spot to vacation with lots of biking, golfing, sailing, just a really nice, quiet retreat away from the city. But what happened to this community in 2008 would forever change the people who live here. Something so vile and senseless, it's almost hard to imagine. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start at the beginning of the story. In my opinion, one of the saddest kinds of crimes to occur is filicide, which is the act of a parent killing their child. And while we're only halfway through 2020, we've heard of so many high-profile cases of filicide happening this year. It's crazy. I'm talking about, like, Gannon Stoke, Evelyn Boswell. Tonight, we're talking about the disappearance and murder of a 12-year-old girl, Carissa Boudreaux, whose beautiful life was taken at the hands of her mother, the one person who was supposed to love and care for her unconditionally. So, let's get started. On January 27, 2008, at approximately 8.30 p.m., Penny Boudreaux reported to the Bridgewater Police Department that her 12-year-old daughter, Carissa, was missing. She claimed that earlier that afternoon, the pair had a fight in the parking lot of a Sobeys grocery store. Apparently, about nothing unusual, just regular teen stuff, according to Penny. Penny went into the store alone to pick up a few things, while Carissa waited in the car. When Penny returned to the car, her daughter was missing. She just wasn't there. Penny then claimed to search for her daughter. She said she drove up and down the streets of Bridgewater. She called a few of her daughter's friends and even her teacher, none of which had heard from Carissa. Because it's January in Nova Scotia, Canada, the weather would have been extremely cold and there was actually a snowstorm happening. The last time Penny saw Carissa, she had only been wearing pink Crocs, jeans, a t-shirt, a black hoodie, and a black vest. Her daughter had also left her cell phone behind, so she had no way of reaching her. It was then that Penny notified police and reported her daughter missing. The following day, Carissa was still nowhere to be found, and nobody had heard from her. So, as you can imagine, with the cold weather and the attire she was wearing and not having her cell phone with her, this would have been extremely alarming to the police and the community as a whole. A media alert was issued and a full search effort began. Two days later, when the search for Carissa yielded no clues, a press conference was held at the police station. Penny pleaded for her daughter's safe return and anyone who had information of her daughter's whereabouts were asked to get in touch with police immediately. Penny looked distraught, tearful even. 
That same day, a local citizen driving down William Hebb Road in Hebbville, Nova Scotia, which is just a town over from Bridgewater, noticed something pink that looked like footwear lying in the snow. He remembered the missing girl, Carissa, who he had heard about from the press conference, and he had remembered hearing that she was last seen wearing pink Crocs. So he stopped his car to take a closer look. And it was, in fact, a pink crock that looked to be about the right size. He turned it into police, and it was later determined to be Carissa's. But, unfortunately, there was still no sign of the missing 12-year-old. February 1st, Penny Boudreaux makes a second emotional appeal to her daughter or anybody who knows where she is to make contact. She says in the conference... It's hard not to know where your kid is. Okay, I'm going to play a clip from that press conference, and the reason why will become important later. I'll also see if I'm able to share the video clip of this press conference because there's some visual clues I think that you're going to likely pick up on. I'm just here to reach out to my dog, um, Carissa. I just want to tell you that you have lots of people who love you and want you home. Your Aunt April is here, your mom is here, your dad, Shane, Vernon, your Uncle Joey, your Aunt Chrissy, your friend Sarah is worried sick, everybody in school, your grandmothers, everybody. Please just reach out to someone. At least call us and let you know you're okay. We all love you. If there's anybody out there that knows, has seen her or anything, please call. The other thing I want to say is I want to thank everyone in the community that's been a support, all the businesses we both work for and the community in general. Um, it's been very comforting. Nothing can be done to make things better, but it's comforting to have support. The main thing is I just want somebody to come forward. If not Chris herself, somebody, let me know. It's hard to not know where your kid is. At the press conference, seated next to Penny, is Carissa's biological father, Paul Boudreaux, and Penny's live-in boyfriend, Vernon McCumber. At this time, police admit that they have no evidence to confirm that Carissa was in the Sobeys lot on Sunday because there was no surveillance video of the area. Police also say it's unusual for someone Carissa's age to be missing for so long and not contact anyone. On February 6th, a week after searching on the ground and from the air, turns up no sign of Carissa anywhere, so divers are sent to search on the river. Again, no sign of Carissa anywhere. On February 9th, almost two weeks after first going missing, Carissa is found. Unfortunately, she would not be found alive and the details to come surrounding her death would be devastating beyond belief. At approximately 11.35 a.m. that day, a 911 call was made by a woman saying that her 9-year-old son had found a body. They had pulled over to the side of the road to allow him to go pee. First of all, I cannot even begin to imagine the horror of being a 9-year-old child and discovering a dead body. 
My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factor's no prep, no mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factor's chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. So after they had pulled over for the child to go pee, he climbed over the side of the embankment 
so that he could urinate out of sight of passing cars. There, he saw toes sticking out of the snow. He screamed for his mother, who quickly came running over to him to see what was wrong. When she too saw the dead body herself, she quickly flagged down a passing motorist and called 911. Bridgewater police soon positively identified the body as Carissa Boudreaux. Now, the state in which her body was found is pretty horrific. She was naked from the waist down, her body frozen solid by the winter cold, and a pair of white Winnie the Pooh underwear pulled down below her knees. That's right, her shirt was pulled up and her underwear was pulled down. Don't forget those details, okay? Just just don't forget them. Five days later, the police announced that the missing person case had officially become a homicide investigation. Chief Forensic Pathologist for the province of Nova Scotia, Dr. Matt Bowes, attended the scene. From his observations, he noted that the body had been placed at the scene prior to rigor, so it would have been placed there shortly after death had occurred. At first, the way in which the body was displayed, with the shirt up and underwear down, was made to be seen almost as if a sexual assault had taken place, but no DNA evidence was found of that. All of this evidence was concealed from the public. Sometimes police do this with certain evidence in the cases so that they can later use it to identify the perpetrator. You know, the perpetrator might have information that the public doesn't generally know. There were ligature marks around Carissa's neck, so she had been strangled, and it appeared that her body had been dumped here shortly after being killed. When news of Carissa's body being found got out, people were terrified that there was someone running around out there murdering and sexually assaulting children. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, crimes like this simply do not happen in the quiet community of Bridgewater. But the truth of what really happened to the beautiful, happy, friendly 12-year-old girl was far more sinister. Over the next few days, several things occurred. Two Bridgewater residents, known to Carissa, were released after being held for 24 hours for questioning. Police wouldn't confirm their identities, but they continued to say that they were confident the murder was not random and Carissa knew her killer. Bridgewater Police Chief Brent Crowhurst urges the community to feel safe, asking residents to trust investigators when they say Carissa's murder is an isolated incident. He assures townspeople that more than 20 investigators from his force and the RCMP were working on the case and have the combined training experience to resolve it. What the public doesn't know is that the identified people that were being looked at by police were Carissa's mother, Penny Boudreau, and her boyfriend, Vernon. On February 14th, after bringing the pair into the police station to be notified that the human remains that were found were positively identified as Carissa's, they were arrested and interviewed. This was all kept out of the public so as to not ruin the investigation. Police were working on information obtained by the residents who lived below Penny Boudreau. 
Now, the two that lived below Penny Boudreaux had reported overhearing an argument between Penny and her boyfriend Vernon. Apparently, Vernon was agitated. He was throwing things around the apartment, and he was yelling at Penny that he was going to leave her. He kept saying over and over and over again, Pen, how could you do this? And he also told her that he was disgusted with her and that he wasn't going to help her. Reading this statement, I was like, wow, the walls and floors of this building must have been paper thin. At the time of this overheard argument, police had already been looking at Penny as possibly being involved, but these statements added to their investigation And at that time, an arrest was made. All right, listen up. The next bit is straight out of an episode of Law & Order. Seriously, I really didn't know that Canadian police officers could be so crafty, but I'm glad they were in this case. The police knew they had a ton of circumstantial evidence pointing towards Penny, but they didn't have anything solid. Not enough to 100% convict her for the crime, so they knew they needed more. So while the two were sitting in their cells, the police planted an undercover officer in Vernon's cell. Vernon didn't explicitly admit anything to the undercover officer, but a bond was formed between the two. The undercover agent pretended to be in a crime organization based out of Montreal, And he told them basically he could use his help to take care of some business. Both Vernon and Penny were happy to make some quick money on the side. And in early May, these two dummies met up with the undercover officer to see how they could be of service. Like, dude, seriously, how stupid can you be? Your daughter has been found murdered. You are suspect number one. The police are watching you, looking at you. Somehow you're released from jail and magically this person, you know, is talking to your boyfriend and has a job for you. And now you're ready to take on another murder to make a little cash on the side. Okay, so during this meeting with the undercover officer where, you know, they were discussing details, Penny talks a lot. Like she will not stop talking. Here is what the affidavit says went down during that meeting, and what is in this will absolutely shock you to the core. Okay, this is what she spilled. Penny Boudreaux and Vernon McCumber were having issues because of Carissa. McCumber actually gave her an ultimatum to either pick him or Carissa. Boudreaux states that Vernon McCumber had nothing to do with the actual murder, and it was she who strangled Carissa. Boudreaux said it happened on Sunday, January 27, 2008, the day she killed Carissa. Boudreaux said she and Carissa went for a drive around 3 to 4 p.m. They drove for a couple of hours to Lunenburg and back and were talking. She felt things got a little out of hand and both of them were very angry. Boudreaux said she, in this is in quotes, did what she had to do. Boudreaux drove to the Sobeys parking lot around 5.30 p.m. and went in to get some juice and bacon. Carissa was still in her vehicle alive at that time. Penny called McCumber to tell him that Carissa was not in the car when she came out of Sobeys. She left a message on the phone. 
She returned to the car and put the groceries in the trunk, and while she did this, she grabbed a piece of beige twine and put it in her pocket, as she knew she had to do away with her. Carissa kept wanting to get out of the car, so Boudreaux waited until it was dark and drove to William Hebb Road and told Carissa that if she wanted to get out then, to get out. Boudreaux said she couldn't let her go back and tell people what a horrible mom she was. Boudreaux said they both got out of the car and it was a snowy, dark night. Boudreaux went to grab her, but it was slippery, so she pushed slash tackled her, and Carissa fell on her back. The only thing Carissa said to her was, Mommy, don't. Boudreaux said Carissa was scared. Boudreaux used her knee on Carissa's chest to pin her down. Carissa's hands were under her, so she couldn't move her hands, and Boudreaux used her knees to pin her down so she couldn't fight back. Boudreaux was face to face with her. Boudreaux wrapped the rope around her hands and put the rope around Carissa's neck and pulled in a crisscross motion with all of her strength until she could no longer feel her breathing. Throughout all of this, Boudreaux said she could feel Carissa trying to move her hands and that they were digging at the ground. Carissa's eyes were bulging, her tongue was stuck between her teeth, and foam and drool was coming from her mouth and she could hear her heaving for air. Boudreaux said when there was no more breathing, she dragged Carissa's body and put her in the passenger side of the vehicle in mostly a heap on the floor and then drove to Bridgewater to decide what to do next. Boudreaux placed the twine in an empty Tim Hortons cup, which she then threw into a garbage can at Tim Hortons on High Street. Boudreaux then drove on King Street, past Pendleton's store, to the turnaround spot. She parked the car, turned it and the lights off, and dragged Chris's body out of the car, using her blue jeans as leverage. Chris's pants, pink underwear, and striped socks came off as she was dragging Carissa to the bank's edge. Boudreaux felt this would make people think Carissa had been sexually assaulted. Boudreaux stated Carissa's hoodie and vest came off and she was just left wearing a t-shirt with one pant leg in her jeans. Boudreaux then rolled her over the edge of the bank, knowing that the weather was calling for lots of snow and that she wouldn't be found for a while. Carissa landed amongst the trees and didn't hit the river. Boudreaux got in her car and took the hoodie and vest and croc and threw them in the garbage can by the Bridgewater swimming pool. She realized at this time she only had one croc, and that's how that man had found the other croc. Boudreaux went home around 7 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. and told McCumber that Carissa was missing. She called the police around 8 p.m. She called family, friends, and teachers to check with them. Boudreaux said she would do anything for Vernon, and the thought of losing him was harder than the thought of losing her daughter. Now, she actually went to the place where she murdered Carissa with the undercover police officer to show him exactly how it was all done. And the undercover police officer and the police officers who were hiding in the bushes around videotaping the whole thing 
were completely shocked. She spoke calmly, nonchalantly, like it wasn't a big deal. While she detailed how she murdered her daughter in cold blood, as her daughter cried, please, mommy, don't. On the morning of June 14th, 2008, Penny Boudreau was finally arrested for the murder of her daughter, Carissa. I can imagine she probably thought it was another bust and that she'd be getting out soon, but the police showed her the audio and video footage taken from the interaction with the undercover police officer. At that point, I'm sure she was probably like, fuck. While she was charged with first-degree murder initially, she pleaded guilty to a lesser sentence of second-degree murder in a plea bargain, which comes with a life sentence with no eligibility for parole for 20 years. I'm guessing what they did, and, and I'm not sure if you can find any information, please let me know. It kind of sounds like they took the whole murder plot thing off the table the fake one with the undercover police officer. It sounds like that was taken off the the table for the plea bargain, and instead she pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, um, which would have spared Carissa's family from a lot of the details and the evidence being presented in court. Now, in court, during sentencing, hundreds of people showed up angry, shouting profanities at Penny. I mean, she deserved it. Come on. People were overwhelmed with what they had heard that she had done. How, in her final moments, Carissa Boudreau dug her small hands into the frozen ground and struggled as her mother tightened the twine wrapped around her neck. Mommy, don't, were the last words she spoke. Just as Margaret Stewart looked at Penny and said, You can never call yourself mother. The words, Mommy, don't, are there to haunt you for the rest of your life. For me personally, I think one of the most haunting and disturbing parts of this story is how Penny pulled up Carissa's shirt and pulled her underwear down to make it look like a sexual assault. So now that you brutally murdered your daughter, you're going to completely expose her body in an act of final humiliation so you can try to save yourself? Her boyfriend faced no charges. The court found that he didn't actually know or think or ask Penny to murder her daughter. He simply wanted the daughter to go elsewhere, maybe with her father. So he he faced no criminal charges. Every year, about 30 Canadian children end up dead at the hands of their fathers and mothers. I can't imagine what would drive an individual to murder anyone, let alone their babies. For most of us, our children are our entire world. It's heartbreaking that this selfish woman couldn't love and care for Carissa the way that she deserved. So let's take a second to remember the beautiful Carissa with her friendly personality, her winning smile and love for animals. Her teachers and friends described her as a typical youngster who liked to sing and listen to pop music. She would have been 24 years old today. Okay, that's it for tonight's episode. Thank you again to Danielle for the recommendation. And guys, please keep them coming. If, if there's a case you'd like me to cover, send it along. I'd love to have a look. I love all of your ideas. If you like this episode or this podcast, 
I would super appreciate your reviews. Please, please, please. If you want to reach out, you can find me on facebook.com slash Serial Napper. That's S-E-R-I-A-L-N-A-P-P-E-R. On Apple, you can just search Serial Napper. On Spotify, and hey, you don't need a premium to listen to podcasts. Just search Serial Napper. I'm also now on Twitter. If you look me up, I am Serial underscore Napper. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye.